0: Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dolquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. You may notice a little difference in sound today, and that's because the cord on my mic is on its last leg and I'm waiting for a replacement. So hopefully we'll be back in action next week, but that doesn't take away from the conversation today. My guest is Janine Reed. Janine is an extraordinary mom who is the mother of a son who was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor at age... 10 and spent more than 200 days in various hospitals undergoing treatments, and now she represents an entire community of parents who are often underrepresented. Her marriage was tested in many ways, but her story really shows us the resilience that is within each one of us and how you can overcome any circumstances and make the most of things even when they are not what you thought they would be. So she talks about what she's learned from that experience, how her son is doing today, and what her other son has learned as a result of having a sibling with severe medical needs. So it's a great conversation that I hope you will enjoy and feel inspired by. So let's get to my conversation with Janine Reed. All right. I'm so excited to be chatting with Janine Urbanic-Reed today. Hi, Janine. Hi, Jessica. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. We're both in California, but on opposite ends. Yes. (laughs) That's
1: that's awesome.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you went to UCSD, and I grew up in San Diego as well. Did you love
1: being in San Diego? I loved it, and I I miss it so yeah. much. I would love to get down there once. Once life is back to back to normal, it's one of my favorite places to be.
0: Yeah, what a strange time, and it's kind of hard to know. Like you know, all these trips people had planned over the summer and everything. It's like, how far out do you cancel things, right? Because you don't want to get exactly. your hopes up, and yet you also don't want to prematurely kind of predestine yourself to. Yeah, not having something to do mid-July if things are a little bit more normal. But my goodness, strange, yeah, talk, strange times. Yeah,
1: talk about living a day at a time. I'm sorry. I didn't want yeah, to... Yes, absolutely.
0: I, yes. And launching a book during this time. Who would have thought? I feel for all these authors that had plans and book tours and things like that. It's not coming out at a time that is anything like we've seen before. How does it feel to you?
1: Oh, you know, it feels a bit ironic that the title of my book is The Opposite of Certainty, and its I've landed in, like, the most uncertain time ever globally. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know about ever, but certainly in my lifetime. So that's ironic. And I just, yeah, it's it's very strange. And like I started to say, it's very a day at a time for me. Um, There's a lot of good. I think there's a message. It's really resounding with people um, that, you know, that our how important our stories are and how important uh, our connection is in in walking through tough times and we've gotten really creative like we are right now on Skype, right? Mm-hmm. Thank goodness for technology.
0: Exactly. And I do think our stories are more important than ever and just because you're stuck in your four walls more than normal, that doesn't mean you have to stop t- sharing your story and your book can really be a companion to people that are feeling that insecurity with this lack of control that we're facing right now more than ever and I've, I've seen a lot of books come out where it's like oh darn that it's coming out right now and wow what a message some of these books have that are so perfect for right now it's almost meant to be Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: That's what where I have to go with it. It's like there is a synchronicity here, and who am I to question it? It's working out, you know.
0: Absolutely. So, tell me about your background, Janine. Tell for the people that aren't familiar with you yet. Tell me about yourself and your family.
1: Well, I um, was born to two lovely, very, very young parents, and uh, my dad uh, developed alcoholism, and my mom did her best to keep everything in control and looking good as best she could a skill that I learned, which is actually quite useful (laughs) until it's not. And, um, and when I got into my twenties, actually, when I was at UCSD, um, you know, I struggled a lot with, um, that family disease of alcoholism and that feeling of separateness, that feeling of never quite being good enough, or that if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. And, um, one day I, was, I, I lived in Mission Beach, which is a beautiful place for people who haven't been there, and they rent the uh, apartments to students in the winter, and then they make their money in the summer renting them to tourists. So we got, as students there, it was pretty ideal. And one day I came home, and my dad was on the beach walk, and um, he and I had a lot of um, difficulties at that time, and he was there to tell me he was sober. And that, you know, and he, that was his beginning of his mending our relationship. And the beginning of me learning about this, um, it's like a fish in water. I had no idea that how it, I was affected by alcoholism. So how this gets to my story and what so is, you know, I came into motherhood. I'd done a lot of work around recovering from family disease of alcoholism. I discovered that I have that allergy as well. And I had gotten sober when I was 24. So by the time I was 28 and got married 30 and had my first child, I thought I kind of had my life in control. I thought I checked all those boxes for tragedy and misfortune, you know, Mm -hmm. and I write about some of that in a little more detail in the book. And then, um, so I tried to do everything right. That was my mothering strategy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I will do everything right. How'd that go go for you? (laughs) That's so exhausting. But yes, we do it. We do that, don't we? We do because we love these people beyond what we, I mean, I had most of, you hear this over and over, we have, I had no, no idea how much I could love another human being until I had a child. So I just, of course, never wanted, I say in the book, to be hurt, scared, or scarred. So I was, took on all this pressure that I was going to control the world and protect them. And um, I had three children, you know, my husband and I put together a beautiful life in a nice like, safe neighborhood you know mm-hmm. um, and uh, then my young son's hand started to shake and in kindergarten he started getting frequent headaches and it, it's because it the beginning of a year's long journey to really get actually get him diagnosed and it turned out he has a slow-growing brain tumor and it was something that um couldn't be removed because of where it was in his brain and how it had grown around the structure of his brain. So this tumor then became, i you know, its I don't like that this is true, but it became sort of the center of our universe as a family. Mm. And it also caused me to question my faith, right? Because um, God, I checked all the boxes. I was extra, extra good. And I was going to protect these kids so they wouldn't ever feel the pain that I felt as a kid. So that's where this that's where my books, you know, that's there's the first three chapters. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, with, with yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah, and and I didn't know that part about your upbringing and and your father. And I do think it's so interesting when we when we guess kind of we all know we're going to have challenges in life. And when we go through something significant like having an alcoholic parent and and realizing the repercussions on yourself and and working through those types of things, we think, oh, this must be my thing, right? You don't anticipate there's another thing around the bend. And I've, I mean, I've seen this again and again and talking to over 300 women now. It's just like nobody's immune from their, you know, the next challenge. We all have different challenges. And of course, there's, you know, varying levels. And some people, it seems like, are dealt a far more difficult hand than others. But that being said, hard is hard right? And so what would you say that experience growing up and helping yourself to process through kind of how abnormal your upbringing was as you were trying to compensate and as your mother was trying to compensate and everything, you undoubtedly became a different person and mother than you would have been without those things.
1: Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I, I, absolutely. I to- And I completely agree with that. That was, I, I, I became a much, I was determined to heal. And, and looking, looking back, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Sure. I was determined to heal those wounds that I had experienced and so, to protect my children from those things. Yeah. And it, there is a healing component there, that was healing for me to be able to just clear that channel, you know, the spiritual channel, whatever you want to call it, that let that love be a balm there and create safety. Mm-hmm. Um, But it did, there is a sense of hypervigilance that I grew up with and of wanting so desperately to control, and um, the culture sort of approves of this, right? It does, and it it reinforces it
0: in a lot of ways
1: that it's not trying to, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. If you only mother properly, you, your kid can avoid these tragic, you know, these things, and I didn't see it when my son was newly diagnosed and people are so well-meaning and so compassionate. I mean, really loving. So mm-hmm. I we say that, mm-hmm. and yet we all say. I mean, I'm sure I said really off, <laughs> off-target things to people. But there was this sense of what did you do wrong? And mm-hmm. I made it. Might have seen that in the world because I was feeling that so much myself. What could I have done better? Should I have breastfed him longer? Mm-hmm. Was it, you know was it that? that ultrasound, that machine at the doctor's office looked a little wonky in hindsight. Was it this? Was it that? And um, I say, I'd rather be anything but powerless, especially where it comes to my kids. I'd rather be wrong than powerless.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting that you still felt that shame when clearly this was something out of your control. I mean, c- cancer diagnosis or, you know, a brain tumor. Yeah. Those are certainly things that elicit in our world kind of the most sympathy, right? Because it's like, oh, oh yeah. man, you've been, you've been robbed. You've been, you know, versus something yeah. that your child going astray or getting into drugs or making choices that you disagree with and things.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I see more of the tie to shame in those things. Not that you should feel shame over those things either. We're all doing the best we can. And our kids are not a reflection entirely of of us and, and our choices and our parenting. But that's really interesting that you still felt tied to that as kind of your performance.
1: Yeah. And I think that has to do with my lens, right? And that Velcro backing in me that picked up those comments. Well, like, well, have you tried the vegan diet? Well, do you buy organic fruit? You know? And for me with my, like, I want to, I want to believe that I can control everything just so my kids will be safe. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to you know, create an empire here. I just want everybody to be okay. Um, So that really, those sort of comments, it was like, well, is there something better I can do? Is Mm -hmm. there, have you tried this alternative therapy? Have you tried that one? And I write a lot about those things
0: too. So probably when somebody tells you their child has, you know, a certain type of illness or somebody's confiding you and you about something, not offering a solution is probably... The best thing you can do. <laughs> but to tell me the yeah, things that people me. can say yeah. that are positive or helpful.
1: Well, and I think this is this is what I've learned. And you know, I, I, you know, there's not. You don't really need to say a lot. Sure, your presence, being there, is huge. And my best friends have been able to sit with me quietly, or just to really say, you know what, this really sucks. It's yeah. just awful. It's really awful. And have you had a, a cup? Can I get you a cup of tea? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I and I know, you know, I'm probably I'm sure I was the number one offender prior to this. Like, have you tried the vegan diet or here, let me send you this helpful article on, you know, crystals or whatever. And I I believe me, I've got I've got some beautiful stones and things right here. <laughs> um, I, I love to believe in all kinds of magic in the world. Um, but sometimes when it's really, really hard, the, the most important thing is to be willing to sit with someone in that uncertainty.
0: Oh, I love that. That is such a great reminder. And then that also takes away the fear of saying the wrong thing. You know, when you're just simply yeah. offering your presents or, you know, coming in and doing their dishes when, you know, they know they've been gone for days at a time or vacuuming their floor or whatever it is. It's just like just showing up. You can't really say the wrong thing when you're just showing exactly. up and
1: letting them lead, right? Exactly. And, yeah. you know, and let's not beat ourselves up for saying the wrong thing yeah. because our hearts are in the right place. We're really wanting to be present for somebody and seeing their pain. What I've had to learn to do, because it's funny, when you've had this life experience, uh, sometimes your number gets passed around, which is a wonderful thing for other mothers who've had tough experiences, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And what I've learned to do is um, is listen. You know, and and also be gentle with myself. Um, This is where the train of thought was going with me. Um, You know, I have learned to acknowledge my own discomfort sometime, like, oh, this is making me so uncomfortable. And I really want to say something to fix this for this person. And if I can get to that, getting into Mm -hmm. that place where I can acknowledge that's my thing, I'm uncomfortable, um, then I can be more helpful to the other person.
0: Oh, so Because I'm not much.
1: frantically trying to fix them to make me more comfortable.
0: Absolutely. Oops. And uh, yeah, and it breaks my heart sometimes to see the, quote unquote, like victim in this situation having to comfort the other person when they tell them the news or things like that. And it's like, yeah, sometimes I see kind of a role reversal in the person relaying, you know, my child has an inoperable brain tumor. Or I'm getting divorced, or whatever, and then they end up having to console the other person, and you're just like, oh, oh, it just like breaks your heart that those roles had to be reversed in those moments. And I don't know, it's just very clarifying.
1: Yes, you yeah. Have some and of those and moments. again, it's <laughs> compassion for everybody, and compassion for everybody involved, because we are all, we know we are coming from a a good place, yeah. But our skills can improve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? and, and when you hear stories.
0: Yeah, like yours. Or you could take the example of, of other things, you know, other stories or other examples where, oh, wow, I never want to be that person that feels like I'm entitled to more support than the person needing the support. It just it just helps you to remember <laughs> exactly. that. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So once your son was diagnosed, I mean, I it's every parent's worst nightmare. And inop- those words, inoperable. What did that feel like to you? What did you think at that time?
1: It was such a... Str- <laughs> uh, well, it, it, there's a part of me that just not, didn't ever believe it, hmm. you know? There was a part of me that couldn't take in the seriousness of it. And we had been told we'd gone from one doctor's appointment where the doctor... <clears throat> we did have to do some shopping around to find the right team of doctors for us. But the first physician talked about... scared. My son, and talked about, you know, a, a really scary operation in his brain without looking at the the truth of the matter and the scans. So by the time, so when we got to the next doctor, it was later that afternoon who said, you know what? We're, there's no big operation. In a way, that felt like a relief. But then it was this strange, and this is where the uncertainty comes in. It's this strange thing of, but so my son is going to live his life with this invader in his brain slowly and and how our wonderful i love our team of doctors now we're really we are partners you know and i completely trust them and how our neuro-oncologist um, describes this is it's like it's a slow growing tumor it's not the kind of glioblastoma that would kill someone quickly but it's like roots under a sidewalk and that's been our experience of it mm-hmm. and we've had long periods of peace but there's always this glimmer so there's there's this this sense, and I've really been relating to this with what's going on in the world right now, there's this sense of not being able to get your footing in normal because normal's always changing. Hmm.
0: And so he was about, what, 10 years old when you finally got the definitive diagnosis? Exactly. Okay. Yes. What did he think at the time? Do you remember
1: that? <sighs> yeah. Well, he's... <laughs> He was scared like any kid yeah. would be. You know, when that first doctor talked to him about mm-hmm. the surgery, he that was the moment he broke down. Um and then he has this coping skill. Where he copes through humor. <laughs> so so he immediately became like the class clown of, of the IC- pediatric ICU. And that was how he coped. And now he's actually he still copes today. Which, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a pleasant coping skill. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. And he knows he's doing it now. He has the self-awareness to go, oh, I, I'm just scared. And I'm so that's why I'm joking around so much. I'm like, okay, I get that.
0: Yeah. So how yeah. normal of a life was he able to live? And he's 22 now. Is that right?
1: Yeah. It's been 12 years. And really, I had no idea how far off the track of normal our life beard. Um, what, what the other thing that happened is Mason was 13, he had a massive hemorrhage in his brain tumor. And so that was when he lost a lot of, hit. he lost, um, he had to learn to, uh, sorry, I'm, it's, I guess it's still hard for me, go figure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he had to learn to walk, talk, and eat again. And um, his, brain, his tumor was treated at that point with radiation and there was some effects on his memory. So that became kind of a new baseline at mm-hmm. that point. He graduated from high school. You know, we had to find schools and teachers and support. Um, he went to two proms, you know, <laughs> and I write about those in the book. So, it, you know, so his no, it, college has looked a little different for him. And um, and again, it's like day by day. And and what I realized that I was holding out for this miracle, like that he would get the life that I planned for him. That yeah. was going to be the, that would be the miracle. Um, and I've had to like, it's like I wear glasses and it's like getting new prescription lenses. I've had to learn and writing the book kind of revealed this to me that they're the miracles are in these each day and each moment. They're not, it's not the big picture that's changed. It doesn't mean our prayers haven't been answered because the big picture hasn't changed, but that Mason, you know, has the life he has and he's such, he's, um, People love him. That's the one thing that's also certain. Everybody wants to be with him and a part of his little posse. So it's a mixed bag, you know? Yeah. It's been really hard. It continues to be hard. He's in a he's in a difficult period right now too with tumor growth. So it's it's just hard.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry for that. And I and I talk to a lot of mothers who when they have additional children as well and this tumor becomes a fourth child essentially and like pulls all of your attention, you feel a natural sense of guilt and this tension between needing to help your medically fragile child and also feeling like your other kids are being deprived. Did you feel those sentiments as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it really came to uh came to a head when uh, Mason had that major hemorrhage and he was in the hospital for six months. And four months of those, we were in Houston, Texas. Wow! So it was, it just, my heart was broken when I was with Mason. My heart was broken when I was home. My husband and I did a bit, I was the main caretaker in Houston, but I did come home when I could. Um, and I just, you know, um, I would've, you know, like I said earlier, I would, I did not want my kids to suffer. I did not want them to be shaped by difficulties. I wanted them to learn empathy from a safe distance. You know? Wow! Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's hard to do. That's nearly impossible. Uh, apparently,
1: <laughs> apparently, it is. Apparently, I'm not in charge of that either. You know.
0: And so, what have you seen as these last twelve years have gone on? When you're in the thick of it, that fear that they're being robbed of a childhood and they're being neglected, you know, for attention and you know, Mason's getting all the attention and things like that. And they're missing out on their mom, time with their mom. What has happened over the last 12 years that has showed you it's not all bad. And there's great light and growth and refinement that can happen even in the worst of circumstances.
1: Well, that's, that's absolutely true. It's not all bad. And this is how, you know, we become shaped as people. I think of the velveteen rabbit, that the point is to be worn off and loved up. Right. Um, and so my, my kids, my, my daughter and my son have been, um, just how they show up for Mason. It's just beautiful. And the kind of my daughter, even when Mason, she was, so Mason was 13. She was, um, uh, she, I can't do math and talk at the same time. She was 11. See, I'm, that's why I'm a writer. Um, she was 11 when, when we were in Houston, and she would come, and she would sit, and she she would tell, you know, if I was in the bathroom, she would make sure the nurse washed her hands. Mm. You know, she was, she was his advocate, and um, she has a depth of compassion and a depth of, you know, she knows how to show up for people, and I see that with her friendships, and it's a really beautiful thing. And my 25 year old son, um, same, you know, similar, very similar. He actually spent a night in the ICU with Mason during uh, when he was, when Mason was 13, Austin was 16. And he, you know, cause we were, we weren't leaving him alone cause he was not waking up. I refuse to call it a coma because of this is how I am. It's like not, I'm very sensitive to words. So I'm not a coma, but he's not waking up. Um, and Austin spent the night with him in the hospital. And when mm-hmm. I got there the next morning, um, Austin said, it went really well. Um, and when his heart rate went up, I just held his hand and I talked to him, and it went, you know, he was okay. Oh. And it's really beautiful. Now, it's still painful. I know that my other children have missed out, and I and I know there are gaps that I, I desperately try to fill, you know, with one-on-one time. and, But, you know, I I apparently am not in charge of their spiritual journey which also I don't love. I would like that again too because then I would not have them have pain. Yeah.
0: I think as you parent, you just realize more and more that control is not the answer. Cuz even if we were able to control every little bit of our lives and our kids' lives, it becomes limited. It becomes limited what they're capable of. It becomes limited what our vision is for them or for our own lives. And really, our life can be so much more robust and their lives can be so much more full and well-rounded, even with the hard stuff, than we ever could have imagined. And I don't want a limited life for my kids. I don't. Yeah. But, but in doing that, we have to release that, that desire for control and certainty. We have to, or else it's impossible.
1: Exactly, exactly, and this narrow um kind of a narrow definition of what's emotionally appropriate, there is disappointment in life, there's pain in life, and to be able to hold a child through that and go, yes, this is really painful, and it's it's not fair,
0: yeah,
1: and to be present it's that being present in the unknown, um, which is a little bit of a different energy than fluffing it up, yeah, you know, absolutely, so you have been a writer for a long
0: time and um you've written for various publications but is this your first book?
1: It is my first book. Yay!
0: Yes, and very it couldn't be more personal, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. I want to know what role writing has played for you as kind of a therapeutic process because obviously it's your profession, but I would venture to say when especially when you're writing something as personal as this this story, you know, what how does that help you to process things?
1: Well, it it, it is my way of processing. There's just no way, no two ways about it. And, you know, the story, it it felt like it needed to come through me. And each draft, you know, I started writing drafts of the story eight years ago. Well, that first version was, um, was a little, perhaps a little angry, Mm. (laughs) a little judgmental. I say, you know, it was annoying people and the stupid things they said, (laughs) you know, and then, then every draft, it was like things, um, compassion started to come, and there was this dropping into the experience and feeling those feelings. You know, I say that, you know, growing up in alcoholism, the benefit of that is that I can lock down and function hmm. in extreme circumstances. And that actually helped me with this me- walking through, you know, cri- crisis mode. But there came a time, you know, to be a whole person. I've got to feel that whole, you know, rainbow. Mm -hmm. So the writing gave me the opportunity to feel the grief, to feel the sadness. And also there was a sense of finding just of awe the way people showed up for us, awe the way grace and synchronicity and God brought healing and miracles that I didn't recognize at the time. So it was the ultimate um, healing process and I got a lot of other healing support through that. I know. I often think
0: and have commented to authors and speakers and things like that how fortunate they are to have their profession kind of create a space of reflection for them. Because a lot of times our lives are so wrapped up in the day-to-day and we're busy and we're moving from one thing to the next. And I have moms on this, regular moms on the show all the time who've not given themselves a chance in years to be like, look how far I've come. Oh, look at these lessons I've learned. Look how different I am. And when you create that space, even for an hour of talking it out, you just see what God's been doing, the hard work you've put in, how extraordinary you truly are. And I think we all need to create more space for that, even if it's not published. And, and certainly you needed mm-hmm. that draft eight years ago to work through those feelings of anger. But this mm-hmm. version now is, is a version that is, is true to you today.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and our stories, everyone's story is so valuable and so sacred, which is why I like the um, the genre of memoir. And I, I, my whole life I've been reading, you know, biographies and memoirs because I love people's stories. It gives me, it gives me hope because if someone else can walk through something really hard, maybe I can too, you know? Mm-hmm. And you are, and you yeah. have,
0: but it is one day at a time, isn't it? Hey everyone, I know you're loving Janine, but I wanted to thank a show sponsor, and that is Little Spoon. Now, when I had my babies, I really wanted to give them the very best nutrition and to make their baby food. You know what doesn't happen when you're a busy mom and you're feeling stressed by having multiple kids? making your own baby food. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing and as much as I wanted that for my kids, it just wasn't a priority for me to actually make happen. That is why I am so excited to share with you Little Spoon, which was started when the founders realized that most grocery store baby food brands were older than your baby. Thanks to heavy processing and preservatives that keeps baby food on the shelves. Disgusting when you know about it that way, right? Nutrition is so important for your baby's development, and 65% of the nutrients babies consume in their first two years go straight to their baby's growing brain, bones, muscles, eyesight, digestion you name it. It really does matter what you feed your baby, and Little Spoon wanted to make taking care of your baby's mealtime easy. Little Spoon is a subscription baby food company that is always made in small batches. So you're basically getting super high quality homemade food and using over 100 USDA certified organic ingredients in a rotating menus of flavors and textures. This is so incredible. And the best part is it ships directly to your door and doesn't break the bank. It's $3 or less per meal. So no more worrying about what's in your baby's food, no more stressing about making it yourself. Let Little Spoon take one thing off your very big parenting to-do list and cover mealtime with their fresh organic blends. Get $15 off your first three orders at littlespoon.com EEP. That's littlespoon.com slash EEP for $15 off your first three orders. They even come with a cute spoon on the top of each little container of food. It's darling. So give it a try for yourself or for a friend who just had a baby. Thanks Little Spoon for sponsoring this show. So I know for a lot of people, trouble in their marriage comes about when there's a medical crisis or things like that. A lot of marriages don't survive and a lot of faith you know, relationships don't survive. So what would you tell somebody that's in the middle of something like this? It may be something similar to what you walked through or maybe something different, but just something that's really testing what they knew to be true. And what would you say to that
1: person in in the thick of that? I would, come back to um, the, this moment, where we are, like like this moment. I learned this trick, I don't know who told me this, but someone said at some point, be where your feet are. And I have like photographic memories of linoleum in all kinds of hospitals, you know, which is very clean. Um, yeah, and I, and but to come back to this moment and am I okay in this moment? Am I okay in this moment? And um, it it's really is slicing time into manageable pieces. Am I okay in this moment? And the voice, the gentle voice of, you know, I maybe I spoke a harsh word yesterday that I don't feel great about. Maybe I didn't have as much patience as I would want to. But that gentle voice, to cultivate the gentle voice we would like to use with our children towards ourselves and our spouses and gives our, give ourselves and our spouse, you know, because that is, I write a lot about, um, my marriage. And, um, it's, you know, it's the, that's talk about a spiritual lesson, you know, of of learning unconditional love because it's just to deal with my own feelings in a difficult situation. And then my partner's equally difficult experience is really challenging and compassion and gentleness are not necessarily my first reactions.
0: Yes. And (laughs) allowing for them to process it differently. Yes. It's the same circumstances, (laughs) But I think we underestimate how differently and the wide array of responses people can have to the exact same event.
1: Huh? Isn't that crazy? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It is. And, and and you know, mm-hmm. I think what I've learned too in the writing of this and the living of this is that it's, it's not wrong. It's yes, kind of the beauty yes, yes, yes. of it. We each bring our little dish to the potluck and we've got a beautiful meal. So to appreciate that, my husband wants to... Miss- Methodically go through MRI scans with the doctors rather than, you know, rolling my eyes, which believe me, I, you know, like, oh, here we go again, because it was painful for me to look at those scans. But you know what? That gave him comfort. And it it was actually helpful at times for Mason, too, for his dad to point things out.
0: Yeah. Yes. And uh, I can just think of so many experiences in my life where I judge somebody else for how they responded to something or did something or whatever, but it's, it's like when I think of myself as more right than somebody else, it just it does not get you anywhere. <laughs> it doesn't get you anywhere, and it ruins relationships. No, it does. Oh, it's it's so hard. It's so hard to to turn that off. But it's so great to be aware of it because then you're more able to turn that off. Yeah, for sure. And even I'm sure your kids had certain reactions. You know, your other children. Uh, you know, to things. And it's like, they're processing it in their own way too. And so everybody coming at it from their own vantage point, that's really hard. That's really hard. But it that's what a family is. And you stick together for the common, the common goal of, of saving Mason.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing.
0: Well, this is just such a great conversation. I think in this time, especially a worldwide pandemic, I mean... You probably thought, oh, here we go again, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I lived through this, and then I had this, and then, oh, this too. And I'm so sorry to hear that Mason's going through an especially difficult time right now. Um, that's, just, that's just a lot. But I want to know how you, Janine, that sits before me today, is different and better and extraordinary because of what you have experienced throughout your life.
1: Oh, what a beautiful question. Um, I am, I have gotten a lot of the control wrung out of me. I'm surrendered to what is, and I kind of equate it to like, you know, floating. <laughs> like you're, if, you're in a, if you're in a body of water and struggling, 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 you sink, right? And I've kind of learned to float. And if I'm floating and not fighting the current, I can notice kind of the scenery. Oh, isn't that a beautiful shoreline? Whereas before everything looks dangerous and awful, so there's that sense of being able to surrender. And my first, but my first sense is always like, no, this can't be happening. But I have tools now to surrender. Um, my faith is more on a muscular level than an than an idea level, which means like my faith is I don't give up. You know, my faith is I I have given up trying to understand why really horrible and painful things happen to people in this world because I just cannot understand it. But I have noticed, you know, um, the good, improbable good in scary, dark places. And that's where I see God. So my faith is much deeper, which was also a surprise after writing this book to come to the realization, how did everything I thought I knew about God, which was more of a quid pro quo, you know, Santa Claus situation, even though I, I was really a seeker and I really tried, but I still wanted to control god you know which may just be a human reaction to you know to be safe um but now i do have a trust that you know i don't know what's going to happen but i know in the past i've always had the strength i've always received the strength to deal with whatever has happened so in the moment i receive the strength i need The helpers show up, as Mr. Rogers always said, my favorite thing, look for the helpers. And I have always had helpers, which is remarkable.
0: What would you want the world to know about your son, Mason?
1: Uh, I would want the world to know that he has been through so much physical pain, pain on every level of our human existence, and he has not lost hope or faith, or his sense of humor. Um, he actually had a biopsy, not a biopsy, a shunt revision yesterday. He was in the hospital and I couldn't go because only one parent in COVID times. And my husband, is. We there were a lot of good reasons that he would be that parent to go this time. And when Mason woke up, he was joking with the nurses. You know, they were asking him questions and he was joking with the nurses. And you know, there's something such a gift from God, this sense of humor that we have and this ability to just hold life and to see that it's just beautiful. And that he is, and he's also an amazing artist, Mm. which is another way to channel what is in our lives and make it beautiful. And he's, he does that. Wow. Oh, yeah.
0: Thank you for sharing your story, for sharing your son, Mason, for being such an inspiration to people going through hard things and for people that are wanting to show up for others who are going through really hard things. It really helps us give us an increased perspective on how we can show up in really positive and helpful ways when we can hear stories like this. And it kind of empowers us to know what it actually looks like behind the curtain. Um, Because I think sometimes we make assumptions about what people need or don't need or what they wanna hear or does you know? And so just having that actual information (laughs) Helps so much, and I hope people will pick up your book, The Opposite of Certainty, comes out this month, and I think more than ever we need this message, Janine. We just do.
1: Thank you, Jessica. It's been lovely meeting you and talking to you. It's a a real joy. Thank you.
0: You're so welcome. I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this, Janine.
1: What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Mm, I think I would tell her to take care of herself to take gentle, gentle care to, through all that's going to come and all the priorities to take really gentle, good care of yourself. And it's not selfish. It's, self, it's, it's actually, you can't, we can't give away what we don't have, right? We need to put our oxygen masks on first. So it's okay to make self-care a priority. Um, and it's a good example.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Janine. All the best to your family thank you jessica i am so inspired by janine and i hope that you are too you can check out her book the opposite of certainty if you're looking for a must read detailing more about their journey that you heard about today and if you've been through anything similar where you're just holding on to hope that this new normal that you're facing can be okay and there can even be joy along the journey this is the book for you. So I'll link everything at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com so you can pick up a copy of her book, The Opposite of Certainty. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at Jessica Dahlquist 3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today, everybody. Be well, and we'll see you next week, first week of July. Holy moly. And I'll be talking about our family's experience in the
1: military. And we'll see you next week for another episode with me, I guess an extraordinary mom.